Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. I want to take this opportunity to welcome those of you who feel comfortable being back on the campus. We're glad to have you, and I want to also thank our wonderful staff and volunteers between all the services. They clean all these services to make sure you feel comfortable being here. Let's give them a big hand for doing that. We are very grateful. And, uh, and to thank those of you who watch us online, we're streaming on three platforms. We have literally thousands of people who watch these services each week, and we're grateful to you for sharing these services with, with other people. It's great to have you guys a part of the service this weekend. We're in a series called Proof, Proof, and we're looking at seven proofs found in the Gospel of John, where John was an eyewitness to these things that Jesus did. And he said the reason Jesus did these miracles, these proofs, was simply to prove he is who he says he is, he can do what he says he can do. And John said, I saw it, I, I was an eyewitness to it. In fact, this morning, we're going to look at probably the most famous miracle that Jesus performed. Most people have heard of it. It's the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, it's such a distinctive miracle that it's the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. And each one of the Gospels give you a little bit of perspective from the writer's point of view of what they saw, how they experienced it, and you see the nuance and you see a lot of detail that one Gospel writer will give that another might not. And so this morning we're going to look at John's record of this event and we're going to see what he had to say about it. So if you have a Bible, look with me in John 6, we'll pick up it in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him, note, because they saw the signs he performed by healing the sick. Now let me stop to say, Jesus never did a miracle. He never had a sign or a wonder that he performed for the sake of sensationalism. All of the things that he did, he did as a means of pointing people to the fact that he was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. And so these signs, these wonders, these miracles that he performed pointed people in that direction. And not only did they point people in that direction, it reinforced the faith of people who had come to terms with who he is and had received him as Savior. It strengthened their faith when they saw the things that he did. So people were naturally drawn to him. They heard that he was a healer. They heard that he knew how to mend broken hearts. They knew how he had uh, an ability to give people hope. And so they were naturally drawn to the ministry of Jesus. And by the way, people are still drawn to him today for that reason. People come to terms. I've told you before, you don't reach people till they get reachable. And people come to terms at some point in life, you have kind of this epiphany where you realize you're not sufficient in and of yourself to save yourself. You can't lift yourself by your own bootstraps. And you come to that point where you realize, I need something more than me to get me through life. And unless you have within you that which is above you, you eventually succumb to what is around you and you'll fall into what is beneath you. So you need a relationship with Jesus. Some scholars said there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of everyone and people tried to fill it with everything except him and nothing will satisfy the deepest need of your life until you meet Jesus. 
And so the people heard about his reputation and they're just, they're coming to him by the thousands. And so that's what he's recording here. That's what he's seeing. And he said, Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with the disciples. He did a little staff meeting up there. And the Jewish Passover was near, meaning there were thousands of people in that region of the world during this point in time. And Jesus looked up and he saw this great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He said he only did this to test him because Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, let me stop long enough to say that God will test you. He's testing Philip. There's a difference between a test and a temptation. James says God will not tempt you. Well, what's the difference between a test and a temptation? A temptation is a solicitation to do anything that goes against God's word or his will for your life. That's a temptation. So God does not tempt us to do anything that goes against his word or against his will for his life. That's a temptation. Now, God will test you. What is a test? Every student in the room and every teacher and educator in the room will tell you a test is given to evaluate your readiness for promotion. You can't go to the next level of life if you can't pass the test where you are. You just go back, retake it. Some point you'll get out of third grade, but you're just going to have to keep looping back until you do. Same test over and over and over again. That's why I say don't waste your trouble. And you'll keep looping back into the same situation. Say, God, what am I not learning? <laughs> and you'll go to the next level eventually, and you'll find at the next level there's new devils at new levels, so you never get away from tests. The only time the tests end is when one day you and I graduate and step into the presence of God. So now he's testing his disciple. He's testing his faith. And you really don't know how strong your faith is until it gets tested. We're in here in this controlled environment, and those of you watching online, you're, we're, the, we're in this big old holy huddle. <laughs> it's a safe place. And in these safe places, our faith isn't tested too much. But in a little while, we'll break this holy huddle and go back out into the real world, and we'll be dealing with real-life problems, and that's where your faith gets tested. And so Jesus knew that his apostles were going to need strong faith. He knew that he was only going to be with them about three years, and then he would go to the cross, he would rise on Easter, he would ascend to his Father, and the work of the church would be put in their hands. So they were going to need a strong faith. And what he's about to do here just north of a little town called Bethsaida in an area called the Golan Heights today, in this region of the northern Sea of Galilee, Jesus is about to do an incredible miracle that will shock everyone. And in this miracle, he's going to strengthen the faith of his disciples, and there will be thousands of people that are going to experience him in a new and a fresh way. Notice in verse 7, Philip's answer to Jesus. He said, Lord, it'll take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. <laughs> just to have a bite. I mean, man, half a year's salary, just, and all they're going to do, is, they're not even, even going to get a, a good hors d'oeuvre. It's a bite. These people are hungry. They don't want, when you're hungry, you want more than a bite, don't you? I mean, you see some of those tricked up, really fancy restaurants you go to, and they bring you out a little smear of something on here and two little bites out there, and you go, that's 40 bucks. I'm just saying the brother needs more than a bite. <laughs> and he's saying, man, these people are hungry, Jesus. It's going to take more than a bite. And so uh, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, hey, guess what? I found a boy. Notice it now. With five small barley loaves and two small fish. Notice times he said small. Just to underscore, so Jesus, here's a small boy with a small bunch of fish and a small piece of bread. I, I, there might be, he might be a little facetious there. He's, he's trying to say to Jesus, this is the only food we found. 
This is it. It's a little boy with a sack lunch, and it's small, coming from a small boy, and it's not going to handle this crowd. I mean, this is small ball here, Jesus, and this is really something that is not going to work. I don't know what we're going to do. And notice what Jesus said. When he saw the, the lunch the little boy was willing to offer, he said, problem solved, you know, loosely translated, verse 10. He said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now understand, back in this economy, the way they would count would be heads of households. They considered heads of households. So when they counted 5,000 men, it doesn't mean it was like a big promise keepers thing. It, it meant that there were also women. And you get 5,000 men with 5,000 women. You got a bunch of kids out there too. So you got probably 15 to 20,000 people that are there. This will be probably the largest crowd Jesus will ever minister to in his earthly pilgrimage. This was a larger group than the group that he spoke to when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. And notice this group just kind of comes, they hear about the reputation of Jesus. It goes back to what I said. Many of them were hurting. Many of them need healing. Many of them needed hope. Everyone was coming for different reasons, but here they are. And so Jesus realizes these people, there's thousands of people, and when Jesus receives this bread and this fish, he, the Bible says he took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as he wanted. He did the same with the fish, and when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they were all, then they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And there you have an incredible miracle that Jesus performed. When I read this record and I looked at this story, the first thing that really kind of jumped out at me that I wanted to share with you this morning is what I want to call the problem they faced. They faced a problem unlike any problem they had ever faced before. And the takeaway that I see is simply this, there's no problem too big for God. Now, it was too big for them. Have you ever thought that sometimes God might send a problem and sovereignly allow a problem into your life to bring you to the end of yourself? There's something about our human nature and our entrepreneurial spirit and something about uh, living in the greatest country on the face of the earth where, where we have this independent streak within us and we feel like we can pretty much do whatever we need to do and get ourselves out of about anything we get ourselves into. And sometimes, sometimes, we don't trust God until we come to the end of ourself. You remember the guy who walks away with the inheritance, the prodigal son, the Bible, we call him in Luke 16, and he's in the hog pen, he's lost everything. And then there's this defining moment in his life, and the Bible describes it this way, he came to himself. Before you go to Jesus, you have to come to yourself. You have to have that epiphany, that moment in life where you recognize and realize the fact you are not sufficient to save yourself. That there is a creator, he created you with purpose, and until you have a connection with the creator, many of the dots in life will just simply not connect. And so this, uh, this uh, situation here and this crowd that had gathered here represented an enormous problem, and the problem basically brought the disciples to the end of themselves. And one of the gospel writers says that Jesus basically told them initially, figure it out. <laughs> Get them something to eat. In other words, he kind of wanted to see at what point are they going to come back to him and say, we've outpunted our coverage. 
And I've found in my life, I don't know if you found this in your life, as long as I try to figure things out on my own without God, he will let me. <laughs> I mean, as long as you ignore him and you fail to rely on him, you don't pray to him, he, he, he's not gonna just out of heaven go, what are you thinking? <laughs> You're out of the frying pan into the fire. Now, he pretty much lets you go on your own. He's pretty much gonna give you enough slack. He's gonna give you enough room to do good or bad. And I'm just suggesting to you that oftentimes we fail to turn to him until we're in such trouble, like the apostles, where they had no other answers. Remember the old hymn? What a friend we have in Jesus. The line says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And finally, they come back to him and one of them said, hey, here's the solution. Let's just send them home. <laughs> Here, here's the way I'm going to handle the problems I have in life. I'm not going to handle them. Like that French philosopher who said, I've got so much to do today, I'm going back to bed. You see, you can deny your problems, you can ignore your problems, but that problem that tucked you in bed last night is going to wake you up tomorrow morning. It ain't fixing itself. It's not going to go away. You have to face the problem, you have to own the problem, and you need to do as these guys were learning, you need to bring that problem to the problem solver. Because there's no problem he can't solve. They couldn't solve it, he, couldn't, he could solve it. And can I suggest your heart as you're in the room and watching me online, you don't have a problem Jesus can't handle. You've never prayed to him one time and brought a problem to him and heard some echo effect from heaven saying, Man, I have to get back to you on that. <laughs> I've dealt with some messed up people, but you, you, you just moved to the top of the list. This is the problem I can't solve. It's never happened. Corey Ten Boom said, there's no panic in heaven. There are only plans. Nothing catches God by surprise. I've said before, has it ever occurred to you? Nothing's ever occurred to him. <laughs> this, was, this is a problem bigger than they are, but it's not a problem bigger than God is. You remember when David stood before Goliath? In 1 Samuel 17, and he had that incredible victory against Goliath. He took him out with one shot. Boy, he had that scope dialed in. One shot, Goliath's down. I mean, what an incredible victory. And you know what gave David so much courage? Instead of seeing Goliath as being so much bigger than he is, he saw Goliath as being so much smaller than God is. You see, you get perspective in your problems. Problems will bring you perspective. You'll come to the point where you come to the end of yourself, but that's just where God begins. When you get to the end of you, that's where God begins. He begins his work at that point. And these disciples were saying, okay, God, we can't, sending them away is not the answer. We can't buy enough of food. We got a little boy with a little lunch, and that's not enough. I mean, that we don't know what we're going to do. And Jesus said, that's no problem. And so here they're faced with this enormous problem, bigger than they were, but not bigger than he was. And so you see God now beginning to work. The second thing I want you to notice is the process they followed. Here's what the little boy teaches us, that there's no person too small. There's no problem too big, and there's no person too small. You know, God doesn't write anyone off. Everyone is important to God. Everyone is valuable to God. And I say that because you remember in the narrative I read, it said they counted 5,000 men. I know the ladies caught that line, but 5,000 men. 
Isn't it interesting that they didn't put in the count, though they were there, the women or the children? It was that old economy back in that day. But here's the point I don't want you to miss, and that is God used the one they didn't count. And sometimes God uses the people that the world doesn't count. You feel inadequate. You don't feel good enough. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel talented enough. You don't feel you've got the skills that you need. Listen, all you have to do is offer yourself to God, and he often will do the greatest work through the smallest means, and he will do the biggest things through people who simply the world hasn't counted on them. So here's this little boy. <laughs> he doesn't have much. I mean, remember, small fish, small bread? He didn't have much. But can I remind you, God doesn't need much. I mean, I know God could have sovereignly put food in their belly <laughs> without doing anything. He could have instantly just said, you're full. Everybody went, whoa, that was awesome. Or he could have created food out of nothing. He's done that before. They could have just looked down and there's a lunch sack right at their feet. He could have done that. I, I believe the Genesis account of creation. I, I, I summarize creation very simply. God one day step, stepped from nowhere to stand on nothing, and he spoke everything into existence, and it stays there because he tells it to. <laughs> and so I'm saying it's very simple when you believe in the sovereignty and the power of Almighty God. He could have, but what does he do? He uses people. And oftentimes he uses the people that other people don't count. It's a process. Have you ever thought about your life this way, that God is using you in some way? You have influence. You matter. You may say, oh, I don't know who I influence, and I, I don't know what difference my life is. It makes a difference. You have influence. See, the word influence is an interesting word. We get it from two words, inflow. It's like two little streams flowing together to create a current and create a river, and, and people get caught in the current of your life. People are caught in the current. Your, your life is, you're, you have a trajectory. You, you have momentum. You're going, it may be a child. It might be a sibling. It might be a friend. It, it might be a, a, a coworker. But somebody, you are in, somebody is caught up in the current of your life. And I can tell you, people will learn more about you by how you handle adversity than how you handle success. They'll learn more about you by how you go through the difficulties of life, and they'll learn more about those experiences, and they'll ever learn how you handle those mountain peak experiences, because anybody can do that. Anybody can navigate pretty successfully when there's money in the bank, and the health is good, and the family are great, and the career is skyrocketing. It doesn't really take a lot to handle that. I've never had one person send me an email and say, Bill, pray for me. I just got an enormous raise. I've met this wonderful person and we're gonna, we're gonna get married in my life, isn't it? Please pray for me. <laughs> I, I've never had, I had never had that. But I've had a lot of emails where they said, man, the bottom's falling out of my life and I don't know what I'm gonna do and I don't know what you can do, but I, I'm asking you to do the most significant thing and that's please pray for me. So I'm just saying, I understand how this works. And God is in a process, and in the process that he's doing, he's using your life to influence someone else's life, and they may see how you navigate the difficulty and stresses of life, and they'll learn so much from that. And these apostles were seeing Jesus. By the way, you know what Matthew tells us? He colors this a little differently in Matthew 14. He says, when Jesus began to minister to this crowd, 
Matthew says Jesus had just gotten word that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed by Herod. You see, why is that significant? Don't minimize the fact that Jesus was just as much man as though he were never God. He was God incarnate, God in flesh. And in his humanity, his heart was broken over the death of his cousin, and this immediately preceded ministry to tens of thousands of people on that mountainside. What's my point? My point was Jesus was in a process of grieving himself, and out of his broken heart, his ministry came. So Jesus was one who needed time alone. He needed some space to grieve, and he taught us an example that sometimes Sometimes you play hurt. Sometimes the demands of life and of family and of, uh, sometimes you just have to get back out on the field and sometimes you have, and Jesus was playing hurt. In fact, he saw the crowd, one of the gospel writers said, and when he saw the people and the problems they had, he was moved with compassion. The word compassion means an ability to feel with someone, to sense what they're going through and, 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 and to connect with them. And you know, there's no one more qualified or no one better to minister to someone whose heart has been broken than someone whose heart has been broken. There's no one more qualified to minister to someone who's lost someone than someone who's lost someone. No one more qualified to minister to someone who's lost a relationship or has than someone who's been through that. I'm just suggesting your heart that God is in a process and in the process he's using the good and the bad and the happy and the sad and he's using it in a way to minister to people who desperately need him. One of my life verses is Romans 8, 28, 29 where he said all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called to his purpose. He didn't say all things are good. He said things have a way of working together for good. And then verse 29 says, the reason these things are working is because God's in, here's our word, process. He's in this process of conforming us into the image of his son. What does that mean? That means he's in the process of making us look more like Jesus. I've told you before, your life may be the only Bible someone ever reads. The only picture of Jesus someone ever may see is what they see in you, what they see in me. And I get it, sometimes we're good examples of good examples and sometimes we're good examples of bad examples. But I'm just saying as broken and as flawed as we all are, uh, our lives influence somebody. And this little boy that no one had counted on, this little boy that people had looked over, this little boy that had small fish and small bread, God was gonna use this little boy in a process to feed everybody there that day. There's nobody too small for him. There's no problem he can't solve. There's no person that's too small. There's nothing he cannot do. Notice the third and the final thought. Here's the provision they found. And the takeaway from the provision they found is simply this. There's no need. There's no need that Jesus cannot meet. I don't know what your needs are today. I mean, when Jesus looked at the crowds being sovereign, he perceived who they were and from where they came and what they were needing. I don't have that ability. I can look at you and you can look at me and we can smile at one another. Neither one of us know the condition of our heart. Neither one of us know if we're playing hurt. Neither one of us know what we're going through or what we've gone through. Not really. 
But can I tell you, there's a God in heaven that knows you better than you know you. There's nothing you can experience that doesn't move him. He knows about loss. He knows about grief. I mean, it isn't long next week. We're going to, or the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking in John 11 and we'll be talking about Lazarus, one of the best friends that Jesus ever had on the earth. Lazarus dies. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He wept. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest who can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted and touched as we are, yet he without sin. You can't have an emotion that God cannot relate to. Brokenhearted, betrayed, going through a hard time. You've got a God who will come into your life if every person walks out. He promised you, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I've told you before, to leave means to remove one's presence from someone. To forsake means to emotionally disconnect with someone. He said, I'll never leave you personally, physically. I'll never forsake you emotionally. I'm connected to you. So I'm suggesting that in this process, God was teaching something incredible. And when they brought him this little sack lunch that really wasn't enough, you know what he did? He received it. What's beautiful about that? Jesus didn't look and go, seriously? <laughs> That's all you got? Oh, you, you do see how many people are here. Is this, is, this, is this all you got? Listen, man, when Jesus comes, Jesus said, those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. I talk to people from time to time. They say, Bill, man, you just don't know what I've done. And I always say, I don't really need to know what you've done. Because sometimes based on their history and their religious traditions, they feel the, it necessary to share with me what they've done. I quickly tell him, I don't have the power to absolve you of sin. There's only one high priest. His name is Jesus. He has that power. You can share that with me, but you don't need to tell me details. Because I've heard some details sometime, and I've learned if you want to keep someone comfortable when they're telling you details, don't look shocked. <laughs> I've mastered that. Don't test me on it, though. I'm just telling you. You're listening to them, you're listening to them, and obviously you, you buried them where? No, I, that's never happened. <laughs> never happened. That hadn't happened. But my point is, my point is, God has heard it all. And there's no sin he will not forget. You come to him, you're not insufficient. You come to him, you're, he will receive you. That beautiful hymn Billy Graham would close all of his crusades with, says, just as I am without one plea. But that your blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. You know how you get to Jesus? Just like you are. Messed up, broken, bleeding, bitter, <laughs> cynical. I mean, you come just like you are. And what he did when they brought that lunch is he received it. You know what the next thing he did? He blessed it. Anything he receives, he'll bless. You want your life to be blessed, put it in his hands. You, you want your career to be blessed? Put it in his hands. Anything he receives, you'll bless. Your life and mine are so much better in his hands because when he touches it, it makes all the difference in the world. But notice what happened in the provision. Not only did he receive it and not only did he bless it, but listen, he broke it. He broke it. Did you know the fish and the bread were not multiplied until they were broken? And sometimes the hardest things to understand in life is when we give our lives to Jesus and our lives are in his hands and he's blessing us when he breaks us or allows us to be broken. 
Jeremiah, God was going to share with him something that was profound, and he said, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and watch what he's doing, and I'm gonna teach you something. And in Jeremiah 17, he did. And he saw the potter sitting there working the foot treadle and seeing the wheel as it turned and working the clay on the wheel. And all of a sudden, the potter had in mind what the vessel was going to look like, but then you see this word inserted into the narrative. The vessel became marred in the potter's hands. Well, I thought if you put your life in Jesus' hands, you'd be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I'm sick, broke, and stupid. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought, you know, it's just this thing would just, you just skip, skippity-doo-dah through life and you never have problems. And you, people you love never get sick and you, you never lose somebody you love. Doesn't happen that way. Sometimes the life that's placed in the potter's hand before the life can be multiplied, listen, the life is broken. He does it for purpose. We may not understand it. There's a lot of my life, and I know I'm talking to some people right now. We don't understand all this, and we don't agree with all this. I've told you about my aha moment that's coming, right? One of these days, the dots will be connected, but they won't be connected till we step in the presence of Jesus. Why you have sick babies and why you have a sick wife, and why you lose them. I understand brokenness. I understand God's got a reason for it, and I know what it is to play hurt. And I'm just telling you, I won't understand that. If you ask me for an explanation, I'm gonna have to tell you. I don't know. Here's what I do know. I know one day I'm gonna have the mind of Christ and I'm gonna know what he knows. And I've told you before, when I step into heaven, I think my first emotion is gonna be, oh, <laughs> okay, all right, we're good now. Not so much down there. <laughs> we did some touch and goes, but we're good now. Because when I know all that he knows, I'll understand. So I'm just suggesting you guys, I get it. I understand what it's like. If you're waiting for God to explain himself before you commit your life to him, you got a long wait. I've said before, salvation is not affected, affected through understanding. It's affected through believing. And I told you last weekend, there's a lot of things I believe that I don't understand. Remember I told you about electricity? I don't know how it works, but I don't sit around in the dark. I told you I don't understand how my truck works, but I'm not walking home. And I'm just suggesting to you there's some things about faith. Now, understanding follows the believing because the author of the Bible accompanies every copy, and when you know him as Savior, he can reveal truth to you as you study. I get how that works. I'm just saying the brokenness that you and I experience, the brokenness that we experience sometimes doesn't make sense. But here's what I don't want you to miss as I close that once he broke it, he gave it. What do I mean by that? I mean that through the broken pieces, other people were fed. Can I tell you God's doing something through your brokenness to help somebody else that you may not even be aware of? Somebody may not have your faith and somebody may not have your strength. Somebody may not have what you have to go through what you're going through, and so God is going to use the brokenness of your life to help somebody else. 
you might be instrumental in bringing someone to Jesus because they saw how you navigated through the brokenness of your life. He received it. He blessed it. He broke it so that he could give it. And here's how it closes. It closes with the disciples going, I'll never doubt him again. <laughs> wow. There's not a problem he can't handle. And the first thing I'm going to do when I hit the end of my rope is I'm running to Jesus because he's the problem solver and he's the way maker and he's the miracle worker. He's the sin forgiver. He's the burden lifter. I'm getting to him. I think that's one of the things he learned. That little boy, he learned something about the value of partnering with Jesus, how it can help other people. Don't you know that little kid went home going, Mom, you'll never believe what happened to me today. You know that sack lunch? Me and Jesus fed about 20,000 people. I'm sure his mother going, oh, honey. <laughs> so there's a, a, a I, I got to go with on this. This is the last service, so bear with me. It's a funny story. There's a part of child development where kids will exaggerate. There's a term for it that slips my mind because this is nothing in my notes. And this mom was real worried about this child because he was really exaggerating everything. So the teacher told the mom, don't worry about it. I, I got something. I, I think I can help him with this. So the teacher was purposefully late going into class. And so when she got there, she said to the class, she said, sorry, I'm late. When I was driving in, an 800-pound gorilla jumped out of the tree on the hood of my car and basically stopped the car. And she said, so I'm dealing with this 800-pound gorilla when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a chihuahua came along and attacked the 800-pound gorilla and, and chased him away. And so I was late to class. Do you kids believe that? And all the kids in the room, no, 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 except that one boy. And he's going, I believe it. Only one. I believe it. And the teacher said, honey, how, how could you believe a story like that? He goes, because that was my dog. <laughs> I'm not sure where I was going with that. but No, I know where I was going with it. The point is, he had a story. And, and can I tell you about the 20,000 people out there? Every one of them left with a miracle inside of them. They walked away saying, we met someone who did something that no one else could do. He met the needs of our life. He ministered to us, and he had 20,000 people going all over the then-known world saying, the Messiah is here. <laughs> His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray today for my friends in the room and those watching who may be going through some experiences of life that's difficult to navigate. I pray, Father, the message will have encouraged them in some way to trust you more. I pray for those watching and those in the room who may never have placed their faith in you. They're good people. They just hadn't come to a place where they have exercised that little faith they have to say, okay, what do I have to lose? I believe Jesus. I pray this might be the moment where they just swallow their pride and humble their heart and right where they are. They might pray a simple prayer with me like this and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, be a reality in me. And Lord, this is my prayer that I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.